0: Today we're going to look at two instances, really quickly, we're going to look at two instances where, where people w- didn't conform to the patterns of their world. They didn't lean on their own understandings, but in all their ways they acknowledged God even when it didn't make sense. Even when it didn't make sense. I heard recently uh, through conversations with different friends and it's unpacking in my life that purpose isn't something that you, you miss. Purpose isn't something that you achieve. If you're, if you're looking, you're building, like, oh, I'm supposed to accomplish my purpose in life, and I still don't know what that is, but I'm, I'm working to accomplish that purpose. Purpose isn't something that we accomplish. It's something that we walk in. Our purpose, we walk in our purpose as we trust and obey Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't do it on our own. We have the power, and we can rely on the Holy Spirit. Our faith is based on trusting Jesus, that we were once sinners and now we're saved by grace and obeying his commands even when they don't make sense or feel good. We walk in our purpose as we trust God and obey him. And let's be honest, sometimes it doesn't feel good to obey God. Go love your, go love your enemies. Oh, that doesn't feel good. Go love your neighbor as yourself. What if they, no. What if they, oh. Love your neighbor. There's no conditions. There's no, like, little hashtag on the bottom that says, except if they do this, except if whatever. Right? Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Forgive 70 times 70. Overcome yourself. Rest. That's a commandment. Rest. Oh, but my calendar. Nope. Rest. Find a Sabbath. Oh, but I have, I'm so busy. Nope. Find your calendar time in the Bible, or time in your calendar where you can read your Bible and get into the presence of God. Sometimes it's hard to get into the presence of God. Sometimes it's hard to trust and obey. Sometimes it's not convenient for us at all, except that when we've given our lives to the Lord, we trust Him as our Lord and Savior. And we can, those two things go together hand in hand. They go together um, almost like they're one, one thought He's our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for redeeming me. Uh, Thank you for choosing me, even out of my darkness, Lord. You brought me out of that darkness and into a marvelous light. Thank you for saving me, right? But he's also our Lord. And if he is our Lord, maybe you've heard me talk about this before. I talk about it with my students, that he's our Savior and he's our Lord. And if he's our Lord, then we come into submission to him. We come into surrender to him. And our lives surrender to the Lord make a statement about who God is and areas where we find ourselves negotiating with God or maybe making excuses with God areas where we find ourselves negotiating with God or areas maybe that we haven't surrendered yet but when we trust God as our Lord and Savior we must come into the surrender of the Lordship of God trusting that he is on our side he is good he is for us not against us and he will never leave us or forsake us god is a good father and therefore we can trust him as our lord and savior even when his instructions don't make sense i often say it like a parent a good parent's going to tell their child not to touch the stove even if they're toddlers and they're going to throw a tantrum don't touch the stove because it's going to hurt you right even if it doesn't make sense to the child at the time the, par- the, the words of their parents are, are making sense to them, and they're for their benefit. In the same way, if it, even if it doesn't make sense to you in the moment, our job, our, our, in order to walk in our purpose, is to trust and obey, knowing that our God is good, and he has our, intention, our best intention in mind. But first, it's important to have an understanding, biblically, of who God is and his character. Because, actually, statistically, it's been saying more and more. Um, I've been looking at to, um, just studies within, within church context, and more and more, um, there's, there's a fall of Bible literacy within the church. That means that less and less people within the church are maybe reading their Bibles. And so that's challenging because how are we supposed to worship God? How are we supposed to understand the character of God? How are we supposed to go out and make disciples? How are we supposed to do all these things without a clear understanding of the character and the goodness of God and the stories, knowing his history and knowing his God's goodness, right? We, when we read our Bibles, it's the spirit of God speaking through us. If we want to hear the voice of God, he wrote it down in a book. And so that's a great place to start if you're struggling with hearing the voice of God. But we have to begin to read our Bibles and understand the good character of our God to begin to navigate what our purpose is. Because as we talk to God, as we ask him, God, what do you want me to do this morning? As we rise up and go to school in a couple weeks, if we rise up and go to work in the morning, when we rise up and go to a family reunion, wherever we may go, when we say, okay, how, what do you want me to do today, God? How can I, how can I share my faith with people around me? We need to know what the Bible says because God is not going to contradict his own word. So if you say, I don't know if that's God or not, we can look into the Bible and trust that the answer is in there. God is not going to contradict his own word and he's definitely not going to change his character. So we need a biblical understanding first of who God is so that we don't have a false image that we just obey. That we think, oh, you know what, I can manipulate this image and, and say, oh yeah, can I get a puppy? Sure, you know. Um, but we look to God for the right reasons. We look to God for, the, for who he is and what he says. So when he says loving your enemies, we know that that's a statement. When he says that, you know, go and make disciples, we know that that's our commandment, that's our goal, our purpose. We, we can make these decisions trusting that God is behind those because he said it in the Bible. But we have to understand who God is first and his character, what he says in the Bible. Therefore, as we pursue our purpose, there's a couple of steps that are really, really simple. And I'm, I don't mean to, to be disregarding of it, but there's, it, it really is simple. And I think we complicate it with our fear and maybe our pride, uh, maybe our doubts sometimes. But there really is a simple simple uh, way to follow Jesus. Um, and he walks with us as we do that. And the first step is to operating in our purpose is simply to draw near to God. Through time with him and, and Bible literacy. Whatever, however you draw near to God, there's some examples behind me. Quality time with him. Rest. There's Bible reading and, and studying the word of God. There's commentaries and there's word studies and all kinds of, of, um, of resources that we can, we can connect you with to study the word of God, to get it into you. Of serving, of, of giving. There's all kinds Of ways to connect with God and as we draw near to him he will draw near to us he said it repeatedly in James and um, Deuteronomy he says it repeatedly through scripture and so what that's the first step knowing his character knowing the goodness of God spending time with him because there's nothing like the presence of God and step two is simply to trust and obey to trust and obey so we're going to look at two different um, two different locations in the Bible, if you have it. You, uh, if you have your Bible here, you can go ahead and open them up to John 6 and Judges 6, um, both of which are stories that we're going to unpack from the New and the Old Testament. The book of John 6 is where we're going to start off with. It records Jesus having quite a following. A lot of people were following Jesus around as he was preaching, as he was doing miracles. At this point in time in John 6, Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 men. And then that doesn't, re- doesn't record the number of women and children that were there also. But 5,000 men were recorded as sitting there and being fed with five loaves and two, uh, two fish from a boy's lunchbox. So that's quite a miracle. So Jesus just finished doing this incredible miracle. Another miracle that he was working on just right after that was he worked on water. That's a pretty impressive miracle, right? When you look at someone that fed 5,000 with very little and walked on water, then he began to teach. And what he taught became hard for the disciples or all the following to really grab hold of. It almost came to the point where they were offended by it. He took the opportunity after meeting their physical needs to preach to them an opportunity to tell them truth that God has approved the Son of Man as one who gives eternal life. And then he breaks it down even more in verse 35, saying, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Then it continues. I'm going to flip there. Then it continues in verse 30, uh, 47. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I have, that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's a hard message for them to, n- to grab hold of. You have Jesus standing there saying, I am the bread of life. After they just um, fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men and women and children. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Come to me for the source. Come to me for the source of eternity. And all the disciples are taking a step back thinking, what is this guy talking about? And it actually continues on saying, well, if that's true, show me, another, show me a miracle. Show me what Jesus. Show me what you can do if God is for you. After he just finished walking on water, after he just finished feeding all those people, they walked with him and there was a big crowd and they looked at him and said, Well show me show me if you're if that's true, give me a sign. Jesus' feet are probably still wet, you know? And he's looking He looks out onto the crowd and he tells them the truth. He gives them the opportunity. And the crowd of followers began to grumble and complain and dispute among themselves at that teaching. They were so off-put by Jesus' teaching. So displaced in their thinking or belief or way of life, however you want to say it, that they began to walk away. Have you ever encountered something that the Bible has said, at Jesus' instructions, that you find it so challenging? So challenging to obey and trust that you're like, oh, I don't know if I can actually do this. The disciples were at that point said, I don't believe you. They're complaining. They even disputed amongst themselves, and they, they looked, they got to the point where they walked away. Verse 66 to 69 explains it. After this many... Of his, after this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, his 12 core disciples, the ones that journeyed with him from the very beginning, the one he's called uh, individually, do you want to go as well? And Simon Peter is probably my favorite person in the whole Bible because he is hilariously oblivious. And he'll just speak his mind. He'll just say whatever is kind of on his mind. And He says, well, Simon Peter answered him with such a reassuring answer. Lord, to whom else should we go? We've got nowhere else to go. I guess I'll follow you, right? Peter's so reassuring. Lord, to whom shall we go? But then the words come. You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And how come... And, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So all of the great followers, all the great crowds that were following him, Jesus was less concerned about th- the numbers that were following him, and more concerned about the heart condition of the people. And he looks at them, well, where else are you gonna go? Where else can we go, Jesus? You are God, you are Lord. Where else can we go? If you are Lord and Savior, we will trust you. There is nowhere else. Even if it's hard, even if it's really a strange st- sentence. So they started arguing, well, you're, are you the bread? If you're the bread of life, does that mean we, you said you'd offer up your flesh. Do we eat? No? They were confused at the teaching and arguing. It was countercultural. And yet, the disciples were so fixated, were so surrendered to God that they had no other option. If he is Lord and Savior... Where else do we go, God? Anyone wrestling through a season where trusting God and obeying him is challenging can rest assured that you are not alone. You are not alone. The list is surprisingly short of people in scripture who have never wrestled through that. Surprisingly short. Even Jesus did in the garden uh, of Gethsemane. He went to Jesus, Oh, if there is anyone else who can take this cup from me. Even Jesus wrestled with the will of God. Even Jesus wrestled through that and yet said that he would trust and obey. Not my will but yours. Even Jesus wrestled through it. And so let's remove some layers of shame that says that you have to be perfect. Let's remove that um, now in the church. Take that layer off of shame that's the, and, and move forward knowing that we're not alone and that we have the help of the Holy Spirit and that we can trust and obey God because he's on our side. Let's remove anything that tells us that we are not okay in those struggles but be open and begin to be a community that come alongside each other to support and encourage each other. God's ways are not always logical to us because we are not God uh one of the speakers at, at um silver birches just off the cuff kind of s- common said um you know god is the kind of god who likes to stack the odds against himself so that when the miracle does happen it's doubtlessly god i love that god is a god who stacks the odds against himself because he's god and I, we're going to talk about uh, more about that And a perfect example of that is gideon but moses peter gideon all of these people all of them like you and I had moments where they trusted and obeyed out of sheer trust even when it didn't make sense to them and they were led into doing great things Gideon's calling it's in J- uh, Judges 6 so if you have your Bible still open you can go ahead and flip there Judges 6 has a common story of, of trusting God even when it doesn't make sense trusting and obeying Gideon was somebody who was uh, in the midst of um, almost battle all around him the Midianites were people who were oppressing the Israelites at the time and so much so that Gideon and his father were in a field and they were working trying to work secretly because when the Midianites came they laid waste to anything that was efficient they stole all of the the grains they they made a mess and made it exceptionally hard for Israel to function they were under oppression and that's where the angel of the Lord goes and meets him and the angel the Lord uh, the, says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon, in his confusion, in his work, in his he's hiding as he's working so that he doesn't get hurt or killed or, or worse, Gideon says to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has this happened to us? And where are all of these wonderful deeds that the Father recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us, and he's given us into the hands of the Midian. And the, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Does that look like somebody who we would qualify to go and, and save Israel? Somebody who's struggling with their doubts, someone who's wrestling through their insecurity, somebody who is who's almost angry at God. And yet the Lord says to him, Go, take this, take this might of yours and go and save Israel. That doesn't make logical sense. I'm not going to look at the kid that's crazy in my youth group and say, yep, go and reach your high school, because they're um, crazy. But he says to Gideon, go. Don't I send you? His ways don't always make sense logically. And so Gideon goes through the process of, of quietly learning to trust the Lord. He goes ahead and, and destroys an altar of Baal that was at his father's house. And he signs a fleece he puts out. He says, God, if this is your will, I'm going to put out this fleece. Um, and I'm going to, if it's wet in the morning and the dry around and dry everywhere around it, then I'll know that it's you that sends me. And that happened the next morning. He says, okay, well, I don't, I don't know. Let's, let's reverse it. If it's dry and the area around it are wet, then, then I'll know that it is your calling. Then I'll know that it's you. And then I can definitely know that it's your calling me to save Israel. And that happens. <laughs> right? When we trust God, we can, we can look to him and trust him. So this is where I'm going with this. Gideon, this is going to be up on the screen from what I remember. Gideon was about to go into battle. It says this about the, the Midianites army. Um, the Midianites and their allies and all of the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance and their camels were without number as the sand is on the seashore in abundance. That's who Gideon is going up against. There was so many of the army that were against him that it looked like sand on the seashore. It looked like locusts in the field. There was an army, overwhelming numbers. And Gideon, Gideon was to face them. Now logically, what would you do? What what would make you feel more comfortable? Would you want a giant army that's gonna battle them too? I would, right? I I would want some help. I would need help. Like, everybody come help me, please. I would call on you guys, my incredible church. Like, come and battle with me, right? You would take up your swords. I would do some sort of prep, like a, like a pep talk, so you guys would both totally be ready. But Gideon, Gideon looked, and he said, uh, you know, the Lord said this. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand lest Israel boasts over me, saying, my own hand has served me. So at this point, they had 32,000. 32,000 people against a sea of the enemy. 32,000. And God says to Gideon, you know, there's too many of you. There's really too many. So why don't you just cut your numbers in half? And so they go through a process of lapping water. If you want to read into it, you can. It's in Judges uh, 7 at this point. Judges 7, read it on your own time because it's really an interesting story. 32,000 goes down to about 300. Could you imagine? That does not make sense logically. And yet the Lord says to him, oh, there's too many people in your army. Go down to 300 against a sea of your enemies. 300. And then their strategy was to surround the camp with, um, as they split their teams up. So they had 300 and they split into three groups. 100 of, of their armies were surrounding this sea of enemies. How does that make sense? It doesn't. Because it's not supposed to. Our job is not to question. Our job is not to, to wonder how that's going to work because it's, it doesn't have to. God is God and God is our Lord and Savior so we can trust him that his will, his way is higher and better. Needless to say, Gideon, long story short, he defeats them. Spoilers, I'm so sorry. Read the story on your own. Um, it's in the Bible. Um, he defeats them. Through the power of God. Gideon didn't need all the answers. He simply needed to trust and obey. He simply needed to trust and obey. As with all of the people in Scripture, most of them, most of them, excuse me, in Scripture, I don't believe that, that they even knew that they were destined for great and powerful things. I don't think that Gideon woke up and all of a sudden said, Oh, I'm going to defeat this army when I'm older or eventually. I'm going to accomplish life's purpose. This is my purpose. What they simply did was trust and obey God in the moments where he asked them to trust and obey. He simply walked in faithfulness to a God who is good, a God who is powerful, and a God who w- wants the glory. I was challenged this past, um, this past summer camp, uh, Youth Camp Silver Birches, by one of the devotions, and they said that, you know, we don't share the glory of God. We carry the glory of God. God's glory is his, and no one else's. We don't deserve the praise. God does. We get to carry the present. We get to carry the glory of God. And it's, it's testament in this. The people who are with you are, are too many. The, and if there was too many, they would give uh, attention to themselves. least least Israel would boast, saying that my hand has saved them. Again, God loves to stack the odds against them, himself. So that when he comes through, that no one, no human can boast, no one else can boast, but all the glory goes to God. So how do we walk in our purpose? How does this have to do with purpose? The more that we trust and obey in the little things in life, the more that we trust and obey, you know that little voice in the smallest things even, when you're at the grocery store, the smallest thing, hey, pay for that person's groceries. The more that we trust and obey that small voice of the Holy Spirit whispering to us, the more that we're operating in our In our purpose we walk in our purpose through the instances those everyday ordinary seemingly moments uh, that we decide to be faithful they build into a greater plan of great and high potential is this making sense we're real quiet this morning it's okay we are made to accomplish great things through the power of the Holy Spirit and it's all for God's glory